0: Hello all you wonderful listeners, Sam here. I want to thank all of my fans for your patience as I released this episode quite a bit later than I expected. Two weeks ago I traveled to Albuquerque, New Mexico to do Pro Tour Ixalan coverage for Team Metagame Gurus. It was a huge success as TJ Rogers and I were able to vlog from the tournament floor. To check out all the photos I took and the vlogs we made, you can check out Team Metagame Gurus on Twitter and Facebook as username MGG. Super big congratulations to our very own John Rolfe, who came in third place. With Pro Tour coverage and the amount of raw tape that I had to edit for this episode, I wasn't able to release this episode on time. I apologize for any inconvenience this could have caused, and I appreciate everyone's support. I hope you enjoy this episode of Kitchen Table Magic with world-renowned MTG collector, Daniel Chang. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to the legendary collector of all things vintage magic, Daniel Chang, the president and CEO of VintageMagic.com. Daniel has seen it all, the rarest of the rare, alpha sets, power 9, black lotus, original art and even cards that are rumored not to exist. Daniel travels around the world connecting buyers and sellers with priceless artifacts of magic history. Daniel shares with us his passion for preserving the historical artifacts of Magic the Gathering and his thoughts on MTG Finance. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Daniel Chang of Vintage Magic. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. And today, I'm here with the gilded Daniel Chang of Vintage Magic. Daniel, how are you doing? Great. Thank you, Sam, having me here. I'm very, very excited because I am your esteemed guest today.
1: Oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm really uh, flattered by that. I, I appreciate you coming to my home and talking more about what we do. And uh, I'm really excited about this.
0: This is a very rare opportunity. And for the listening audience, if you don't know who Daniel is, Daniel is the president and CEO of VintageMagic.com. And you are a high-end collector and dealer of very, very rare eternal magic cards, as well as priceless magic art. When you say that, I um, I always look at, you know, the past where, where I
1: started from. And it's so funny because uh, I never thought in a million years that I would be creating a business and uh, just traveling all over the world and uh, just meeting just incredible magic artists and uh, players. Uh, I was just in Portland um, and I met Rob Alexander, a good friend of mine, and also met with uh, Patrick Hoover, uh, which is uh, Quinn Hoover's uh, son. And I also met with some collectors and we had a great time. But you know, it's just exciting, isn't it? It's like, you look back, I'm like, I never thought I would be selling and trading and buying and just traveling the world with Magic: The Gathering. So it's incredible. It's it's really an honor to
0: be here. That is so cool. So yeah, like Patrick Hoover, Quinton Hoover's son, and also Rob Alexander. Like th- they're clearly very esteemed artists of the Magic: The Gathering world. For me, when I started
1: with Magic, was the artwork. You know, one of the one of the stories I like to share with everybody is um, I started with Magic in 1994, and uh, I, I remember I was I went to Sammamish High School in Bellevue, Washington. And I was walking down the halls and, um, during lunchtime and some of my buddies were playing uh, this card game. I, I, went in, I went in and checked it out. And I was like, wait a second, what are you guys doing? And, you know, they're like, oh, we're playing this card game called Magic. Check it out. So, I ended up playing, you know, and I picked up some of the cards. And instantly, I was drawn to cards such as Vesuvan, Doppelganger, uh, Soul Ring, and Wrath of God. So I fell in love collecting, you know, a dreaming of owning uh, the Vesuvian Doppelganger, something original art. And now I was fortunate enough to uh, acquire the uh, Alpha Sketch. When I met him in 2010, early he was the most real uh, magic artist, the most one of the most genuine artists you could ever meet. Uh, genuine people. Uh, he was honest, and um, I really loved that about Quentin. So I knew instantly I was drawn and you know, to, to meet a legend, but. To be able to, like, travel around the world and meet these artists and just all these different personalities, I mean, it's the biggest blessing I've ever had in my life. I mean, next to, you know, being married and having two children, but, you know, it's pretty much up there.
0: Wow. that's incredible. What a connection. I just love what you're saying, that emotional connection with the community and not just about the love of the game, but the history, the art, and also the creator, the people that go into illustrating the art that has made Magic the Gathering so iconic.
1: Ironically, I met Richard Garfield. It was so crazy. He was there testing, you know, testing his games, and I heard about the myth, the legend, right? You know, I had some black lotuses that I was, uh, you know, I had in hand, just you know, just you know, carrying around. And Richard was so gracious. In fact, I have a video. Of that original meeting where he just signed just a bunch of black lotuses for me, one of the cards I remember vividly, I sold a, a Beckett graded 9.5 alpha black lotus uh, for a gentleman in South Africa. Richard personalized that black lotus and on the back of the card drew a picture of a, a coffee cup and oh. it said, I love Mana." And it's just, you know, he does that. And I finally realized after all these years of collecting and seeing stuff, he does that little uh, sketch drawing. But he's just an incredible, incredible guy.
0: Daniel, was there a moment where you decided that being a high-end magic collector would end up being your career?
1: Yeah, you know, and thinking about that, I I would say I've always had a passion for condition. That's what it comes down to. You know, when you use the word high-end to me, I think people tend to think about money. But to me, it's about condition. It's about quality. And with quality and condition, it leads to more money. Here, here's something interesting. You know, I'm kind of a foodie. I love to travel. Um, I love to uh, experience new things. Uh, I love entertainment, and one of the things I value the most is quality, and also, also the, you know, in the case of like, you know, food and you know the art, um, the quality of the food, the technique, the experience. Right, whenever you go to a hotel or uh, you know anywhere, a Grand Prix, I'm obsessed with quality and condition. And uh, when it comes to cards, I remember when I was young, I started actually with sports cards. 1989, Ken Griffey Jr. Rookie card. There was a card called 1989 uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Don Russ. And it was uh, uh, the Raider Rookie card. My uh, uncle Vic uh, took me to the store. We kept buying these cards, uh, packs, and just cracked them open. And I was like intrigued about, you know, the stats and I just everything. And I and I literally cared a lot. I remember myself literally taking care of the condition of the cards and just like focused like crazy on just like making sure they're perfect in order. There's no damage to them. If they're damaged, I was all you know, like I, I'd want to trade with my friends the damaged ones a little bit and oh you know, this is okay. You know, whatever. I you know I was obsessed with that. The idea of condition and caring in my my past, the history of something. It always meant so much more to me than how much it sold for. You know, I think a lot of people think that, you know, hey, you know, this thing sells for multi-five multi figures. We can go into numbers all day of the week. These are valuable, reservalist this, buyouts. The core of something has, you have to find, you have to discover what is the core of that person. And I get asked, you know, who are you? Like, what do you really believe in? And I can always say that I I believe in the history and preserving the love for something. And, um, and collecting and you know investing and playing I love games you know so I, I I think it's really interesting how I kind of touched on some of the early beginnings of what I did into the you know the high
0: end market uh, what we see today you know but um yeah it, it, it's evolved so much so. These collectibles in this combination of condition and quality and rarity, these are artifacts that document the history of the game. Could you, in a nutshell, kind of explain to the listening audience what you define to be MTG Finance or the collection and preservation of these historical artifacts?
1: You know, when I say the word artifacts, and then you also mentioned MTG Finance, I I think what's really intriguing about the market we live in today Is there's this uh, dynamic of like, okay, when Richard, for like, let's talk about the origin, because what's really fascinating to me is what Richard Garfield thought about the game. He thought the game was going to be hey, you got these great um, cards that you can play, create, you know, you create your own deck. And also, it's collectible. You can trade with your buddies, and life's good. He never thought that this was going to go to the level that we see today. He never thought there would just be this insane amount of uh, popularity, and it's you know now what we have is these the secondary market that's gone to a you know whole nother world. When you talk about artifact and then finance and then value and all that kind of consideration, you're talking about to me two different things, but two things that actually tie together very closely. Let's, let's, let's like kind of talk to the viewers about something that's very intriguing is that, and people they can, maybe something they can relate to is, uh, maybe it's comic books or, um, maybe it's, um, personal to them that was an heirloom or something given to them. The personal artifacts, the personal history of your family, those things are priceless. You know, those things you're not going to like sell on eBay and the things that we talked about history of something that like of the game Magic the Gathering or maybe baseball or comic books or uh, I believe like the Superman number one sold recently for high condition for almost $3 million, something like that. The highest condition grade, the Honus Wagner T206, um, the top end copy, I think sold for almost like $8 million or something. Uh, There's this top-end card selling for not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but million dollars. I don't think the people buying these historical items really care about the money aspect as much as the history. Now, let's even go further. I was just in France, in Paris, at the Louvre. There were thousands of people just going through that entire museum just to see the Mona Lisa. It was like the star attraction. You would think it would be Space Mountain on a summertime To wait in hours to ride a ride and to see Mona Lisa. And it was incredible. And people, you know, that's what I'm saying is it's history. Art is part of history. I think magic finance and the money part of it is one aspect which we can talk more about. In the scale of it all, I think that the historical aspect of where magic's gone, when it comes down to it, I wouldn't be surprised some of these artifacts that, that we've seen. Go for astronomical values because what you're saying, what you're saying when you buy something of historical value. I think these people are lovers of history. They're lovers of owning the creation of something. If I had the be, if I had like the very first uh, computer that was developed by you know, you know Bill Gates or whatever, the very first Apple computer, all those artifacts, all those video games, and that's why you see. Magic the Gathering becoming now the phenomenon is the pop culture of our time. I mean, literally, we're addicted to gaming. You know, whatever we do is gaming. It used to be, okay, it was that nerdy guy in the black cape. Now, it's everybody. You got Cassius Marsh from the Seahawks playing Magic the Gathering. You got uh, Doug, uh, Doug Baldwin, wide receiver Seahawks, playing, playing Magic at the Card Keen the other day. You got so many different people from all walks of life. And my customers are all walks of life. These people always tell me though, the people that are buying the high end, what you call high end and valuable, they do not
0: look at it as money. Daniel, you've said several times the word history, and you also described yourself as a futurist, an individual who really wants to time travel in a sense, span history, look forward. Who are some people in your life that you feel has really influenced your work in the past two decades?
1: First off, I like to give a lot of credit to my mom. To me, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. If your mom, if you're listening, I'm probably going to for you the link. Hi, mom. How's it going? hope you're enjoying New Mexico. So my mom is uh, an influencer because she taught me to be detailed oriented. I think it's very interesting because one of the things she always told me <laughs> was, Daniel, what's your plan? Right, mom? What's your plan? It's very interesting because I always took took that as a young, young child. I was like, what, are you, what the hell are you talking about? plan plan I don't plan anything. I just want to play this uh, I just want to play Crystallis, remember that NES game and just beat it. I want to play final I want to play Street Fighter and just, you know, you know, beat this guy and just don't bother me about this. But if you want to talk about magic related stuff, you know what I really like is Peter Atkinson. Huh. The CEO of uh, Magic. Have you interviewed him
0: for the listening audience? Peter Atkinson is the former CEO of Magic: The Gathering, Wizards of the Coast. Um, right now, the current CEO of Wizards of the Coast is Chris Cox. Um, but no, I have not interviewed um, Peter Atkinson, and um, I've I've heard of his I've heard of him. Um, other uh, people, Chris Morris, Lent, Bryant Weissman, um, Richard Garfield, have all pointed into his direction as an individual to talk to. Uh, same with James Lee, fascinating individual. i I'm, I'm curious to know why do you say Peter name.
1: What I love about Peter the most is the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Daring to do something when people don't think it's going to work, taking ideas and just just going for it. I see Peter as an innovator. I have a, a ton of respect for Peter and Peter is just a great person, a great friend. And I, and I think he would be great uh, to talk to later on. But yeah, Peter is, I admire Peter a lot. I think he has done a tremendous amount for the community and Peter, if you're listening, you know I, you know, seriously, I, you're a you're an amazing guy. And I, if you ever get a chance to speak to Peter, he's one of those guys where he would literally take the time to talk to you about anything. That's what's so cool about it. A lot of people, you think you make an assumption like, oh, very successful, doesn't have time for me. Peter has the time. Peter's a great guy, and uh, yeah, I have a ton of respect. And that's one of the things that uh, you know that that's like the only person I would say. I'm not saying that there's other people that I don't think are. Um, amazing in magic. But influential, I'd definitely say Peter is.
0: That's very cool, Daniel. We're starting to get a picture about kind of where your influences came from, how you got started, what your definition of history, collectibles, historical artifacts for the game of Magic the Gathering. Could you share with us a little bit some of your more memorable trades? And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, hey, I once traded a hundred Jace the Mind sculptors, you know, or a thousand great sharks or whatever. Tell us about, you know, and you don't have to talk about values or anything, but give the listening audience an idea about some of your favorite or more memorable deals that you've helped collectors acquire. Back in uh, uh, 2009,
1: uh, was, uh, I went to Boston. A collector who actually um, worked for Microsoft back in the day. He invited me to his house. Uh, he had... And I I actually didn't know what to expect. I think when it comes to collections and, you know, this is 2000, 2009, you kind of... You don't know what to expect, right? I walked in this dining room area. You guys, I'm not kidding. It was Florida, like not ceiling, but Florida, whatever. You know, it was packed with stuff. It was insane. This guy was just like me, you know, love, had a passion for history, passion for everything. We're talking about magic art to cards, sets, boxes, original wizards letters of investing, you know, everything. There was like, you know, a couple alpha sets, beta sets. Arabian doubles of everything, unlimited, everything, everything, you know, duplicates. Um, but what really stood out and what sparked my magic art collecting was I think it was like 25 or 30 original artworks. And he was in love with Drew Tucker. At that point, I was like thinking, wait, I thought all the magic art was already sold, obviously, and it's gone. So this is amazing. How do you value something like that, right? At that point, I knew nothing. This is like, we're talking like, uh, I don't know what this is worth, right? Type of thing. <laughs> the art that was there was like most of every Drew Tucker art ever out there. City in the Bottle, Famous Dan Dan, Repentant Blacksmith, Her Jackal, so the Rabie Knights series. Uh, none of the alpha Drew Tucker, but we had alpha pieces like Rob Alexander's Savannah. Just, I don't know, guys. It was, it was a lot of art. It was incredible. And it was crazy. I almost didn't get the deal. All this money you're talking about, I almost didn't buy the deal because uh, we didn't know what to value the art. Oh my gosh. And so, the deal, the value of the deal was $35,000 for everything, the art, everything. Back in 2009, and we were fighting, we're not fighting, but we were literally like saying, well, you know, he's like, the art, I think, is at least worth $500 more. I was thinking to myself, "Uh, no, (laughs) because I don't know what it's worth, right? And my friend Troy at the time, he was helping me out. We had literally, when we finished this deal, I explained the airport situation. <laughs> and so we had, you know, finally it was done. I said, I gave in, I budged. And MTG investors out there, this is where it began to me that you have to pay more sometimes and you can't be so like micro about overpaying because you realize that it's a eureka moment of, you just got to pay more. You can't look at current market value. You got to look at the future of what it could be and clicked in my brain, literally that. Wait a second. I need to invest in the art. I need to collect the art. I need to find more. I, I was hooked. So at the air, so those airport story, we had these <laughs> luggage and the art. It was stuff. I mean, imagine guys, alpha piece pieces or whatever in my backpack, barely fitting. Oh my gosh! It was ridiculous. Like I, it was it was weird. The TSA was like, "What are you doing?" Literally, like, well, I was gonna put this inside the check-in, so I'm running out of room. I thought the, you know, the cards were more valuable. I was like, "Okay, I'm putting that in my carry-on, right?" But art, yeah, I'll just stuff it in my backpack, and it's basically falling out. It was absolutely insane. I mean, you're talking like Arabian Nights pieces, everything you could think of. Like it was ridiculous. This collection, and what it came down to was like two thousand five hundred dollars as what we thought, we, that's what I valued it. We, and, and that's what we haggled over. But obviously, guys, come on. 2009, this was, we're talking Alpha Black Lotuses were much less. Uh, Arabian Nights sets were, I was buying them for 500 bucks or less. Antiquities, 300. Uh, legends, maybe 600, 600, 700. Today's prices, uh, we're talking like Arabian Nights could be for like five, 6,000 mint. Alpha, $100,000 if it's quality condition, two of them, 35K. My strategy for investing in cards was not to unload and make a profit quick. I saw the future. I had a foresight moment. I wanted to look at the future and say, wait a second. If I sell these cards and I just make a quick profit, but I already see that it's going to go to astronomical values, obviously, I need to make profit to create the business and buy more cards but I'm going to only sell only so much and just keep doubling up. Every dollar from that time on, I, every dollar I, I made, I just kept buying alpha, beta, unlimited Arabian nights. I just kept buying and buying and buying and selling some grading some. And it was incredible for, for the, the decision I made, for the business decision I made. But that was a collection that was, I mean, it was a, it was a uh, also on the airplane. It was a, the the voila moment that we penciled out my website at the time we wanted to call the website MTG Stores, kind of like what TCG players doing today. We wanted to become like an eBay of Magic, and we also wanted to create a social network for Magic, only Magic. Eventually, that did not work. You know, businesses change. Um, we dream big. That's what it was. Is that that trip buying that collection sparked not only just you know an amazing purchase, but it sparked new ideas, new things. I've purchased so many random cards and deals, um, and there's a lot of deals I can't even talk about, which is even more interesting because you know, one of the things I think people, something they, people should know about how the secondary market works is that a lot of the bigger sales you see are not what you see on TCG Player and on eBay. Most of the collectors and the buyers of art and cards don't want to be public. They don't want to be on Facebook bidding on stuff. They don't want to be on camera. They don't want that, right? So you have to respect that. And that's what I've created my business out of is that this idea of consultation. And on my website, on the services tab, I have laid it out. Consultation, appraisals, and consignments. So I have an appraisal program. uh, I have uh, consignments. So I've evolved the business from just selling cards, but also artwork and also business services. My passion is to build that relationship through the life of their investing and their collecting and playing, and that's what that entire phenomenon was started in that two thousand nine purchase of that collection
0: that's fascinating daniel that you that you tell the story of this Amazing find! I mean, you you connected with an individual who had such an amazing passion to the history of the game, and it's just I I, I was laughing so much because you were like you haggled over five hundred bucks, you know, and then you had cards that were like what worth two thousand some bucks or something, right? And then these things have ten x, twenty x, hundred x in value since two thousand and nine. You also touched on another idea because on the plane ride home, you were thinking about well, what are the implications of a business like this? What are the implications implications of preserving these historical artifacts for magic the gathering what are the implications of becoming that go-to person for private sellers private collectors private investors i mean really treating this like history art and artifacts tell the listening audience a little bit about you know the difference between someone like you someone like an ebay seller or an lgs or someone like a backpack grinder that you would see at a, at a gp
1: I connected with my passion with the love of, you know, back to my origin of quality and historical preservation is that's the phenomenon of the vintagemagic.com philosophy is the slogan is game, collect, invest. And, um, you know, you, we all start gaming, you know, I started gaming when I was a kid with my cousins. We even cracked some packs of Ice Age, tried a draft back in that day. And it just, you know, it was raw. It was just, everybody has that story of gaming in some way you know, and then collecting. I think what magic is really special is we like to collect and preserve. The other thing is invest. I think, you know, you talk about magic finance and pricing, and obviously when it gets to this kind of level, it's become, and we could talk about this, you know, here in a sec about how a lot of clients are taking their stock portfolio, their mutual fund portfolio, 401k, and looking at magic gathering and commodities and high-end collectibles as a hedge against inflation. It is, uh, it's kind of weird to say it. When I started this business, I didn't want to be an LGS store. I didn't like the day-to-day grind of having to, you know, my number one hate is sorting cards. I don't like sorting cards, everyone, (laughs) so, but I love grading. I love grading, that kind of sorting is fine. You know, I love working with customers and clients, but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to do the day-to-day, turn on the lights, you know, make sure the bathroom is clean, You know, it just that whole thing didn't appeal to me. By eliminating, you know, as a business, like advice to to people that's starting a business, I wouldn't. You know, I I would eliminate what you don't want to do, so you don't have the headache later on. And so, if you don't enjoy that, then don't ever do it, because you're always going to regret and have. Resentment about why you're doing this. You're mopping the floors at your game store and be like, oh my God, why the hell am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I just want to play games and talk to people, right? That's what I wanted. So that's why I wasn't an engineer because I didn't want to sit there uh, and do reports and look at my com- computer all day. You know, what's interesting is you talk about like eBay stores and we have an eBay store. Um, we have our, you know, we sell off eBay, deal with private clients. I think what's interesting is the magic market as a whole isn't just it's it's not the lgs market is one thing but magic has become like you don't have to open a store it is crazy like tcg player is made entrepreneurs overnight there's people starting a store starting a business no overhead no you know 401k benefits whatever and and it's like you can start your own business I told myself at an early, early point in my life that I wanted to focus on the experience, the experience of high-end history. That's kind of how it is, right? I wouldn't say high-end as in necessarily the top-end cards, but also um, the older cards. And I mean, my old school guys is 93, 94. For those of you guys who play old school, is a big shout out to you guys. I mean, um, people know me as a person that enjoys the Power Monolith deck. If you talk about playing, it's one of my biggest passions. I think it's uh, I think it's a format that everybody can. It's a true kitchen table magic. It's exactly what your channel is all about. It's about cracking some packs, getting some old cards
0: out, making a janky deck, and trying to win with Craw Giant. Daniel, you talked a lot about the history of collecting these artifacts, spreading the game, sharing the game, inspiring other people, especially this next generation of Magic players to appreciate this. What advice do you have for new or novice players just starting off playing Magic the Gathering?
1: My biggest advice... Is just have fun. You know, I've I, I tend sometimes to go off in different tangents of advice, but I think at the root of all, just have fun. Love what you're doing. Ask yourselves: Are you doing it to love the game? Are you doing it to play the game? Are you doing it to meet your friends and just maybe uh, meeting an artist that goes to an LGS? Maybe meeting a pro player. What are you doing it for? Are you doing it for fun? Are you doing it for the love?
0: You have to have fun with whatever you do. Daniel, you have seen so much of the Magic the Gathering community. I mean, you've been around deep in the community with other people who are deep in the community. What do you think is missing right now in the Magic the Gathering community?
1: I will, you know, there is one thing I will say about what's missing. Magic is missing the collectability factor more and more and more. It's one of the... Saddest things that I find with magic, and I say that because people don't collect the sets; they don't remember the cards as much. They remember some of the cards that were useful when they play, but they don't remember just the the iconic cards that were just icons for us. You know, I'm not sure if it's you know a marketing thing, and that's another topic altogether. But I feel like that's also a secondary thing that's missing is we, as a community, um, I feel like there's too much of just hey, I just want to win. But what about the history and the collecting? What about the art? It's not just about, you know, the trading and having fun with your friends, you know, the whole thing. It's like it's gone in some way. It's it's not the same. As an old school player and an old school collector and everything, I guess what I'm comparing it with really is that I I just hear it a lot from the younger generation. They just say, "You know what? I don't really collect this. I just want to sell my my next deck so I can try to win the next thing." And that saddens me. That does. It really does. And that's kind of the, you know, maybe I answer the question with two things, but hopefully that uh, puts a perspective,
2: so.
0: Okay, everyone, we're going to have more from Daniel Chang coming up. But first, we're going to take a quick break and a word from our sponsors. Hey, listeners, Sam here. If you're enjoying my interviews with your favorite MTG celebrities, wouldn't it be nice to receive a gift from them? Become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic and each month I'll send out signed cards and swag from my guests. For just a few bucks a month, you could get signed cards from Josh Lee Kwai, Jason Alt, Zach Elsick, and many more. Also, I have an incredibly rare gift that one of my amazing guests mailed to me recently to give out to my Patreon supporters. I'm excited to reveal that guest to you soon. Head on over to patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic and support the show. The Magic Man Sam says this, and I love it, so I'm going to borrow it. Thank you very much to all of my supporters, past, present, and future. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv/paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews, and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles from the latest sets to an ever flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck texts by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com/ktm. Okay, everyone, and we're back. Daniel, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready as I will be. <laughs> okay, wonderful. All right, Daniel, rapid fire question number 1. Of the 5 colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? Oh, wow.
1: Um, I actually I actually uh, for all you blue players, I, I don't like blue. I like green. I, I, the reason why I like green is I think I think I want to be on the side of um, the underdog, if that you know what I mean. Like it's not the most, you know, I, I don't think green is the most powerful color, but I also think it's one of the most innovative colors. So, that's why.
0: Fascinating. Okay. If you would pair green up with some other color combinations, what would they be? For old school, for
1: example, uh, I really love uh, green, white, um, and then black, you know, Ooh, okay. Yeah, I just, lo- I just love all the, uh, you know, white's great for, uh, the disenchants and swords, um, uh, and some of the enchantments are so powerful and old school. I love green because you got, um, some defensive stuff. Um, I love the, uh, like force of nature. Um, I also love the, the Sarah angel, obviously, but what's interesting with black is black is so aggressive too. It's just like it's so it's so crazy to mind twist someone. You have to have it in or demonic tutors. So I just love messing around that combination. But the problem is, if you want to go competitive, you gotta some you gotta somehow splash blue sometimes. So four colors probably. <laughs> but That's unfortunate, guys. I, I I really just like green.
0: Daniel, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic: The Gathering, what would it be? Wizards,
1: I hope you're listening to me. I I would say back to the collectability thing that we're missing, um, I would love it. Um, I know Baseball Cards does uh, inserts. Um, They do stuff like that to promote, uh, to have kind of like some uh, parallel cards. But what if you guys did foil stamping where you had um, like limited editions? You incorporated redemption cards of magic history items. For example, what if you put in um, a certain box, you can say, hey, you can get an uncut sheet of this particular set or you can redeem for an alpha black lotus. I mean, obviously, that's a little high roller. But um, 25th anniversary, guys, redemption cards, alpha black lotus, redemption. I think you would sell a lot of packs, guys. I think you would sell a lot of packs but it will also bring back the history and uh, something very special for the game. So also incorporate artist proofs and artist sketch cards like Marvel does. Why not do limited edition artist proof cards where the artists have commissioned the artists to sketch artists uh, drawings and then they can actually open those packs and get those
0: cards. Fascinating. Okay, that's really insightful. Daniel, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every magic player, what would it be? I would love to give every magic
1: player um, just my time. I would love if I had the if I had the opportunity, you know, seriously, if uh, you know, if if I was no sleep whatever, if anybody ever wanted a question and need my help, uh, just want to talk about stories, play some games, if I had unlimited time in this world, I would just give them my time. And uh, I think that's that's probably and if you guys find me at a Grand Prix, always willing to sit down and hang out and talk Um, because really time is really the most precious thing, right? I I love to give my time to everybody.
0: Okay. Daniel, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? My prediction for Magic is... um, So, I'm in it for the long haul. Um,
1: My goal with my company is to uh, pass it down to my family um, and be, you know, obviously a trusted brand. Uh, hopefully like 100 years from now, whatever, like in a business for 100 years, right? And so my vision for magic is that it's going to be obviously around for forever as long as we're around this world. Um, I think it's going to continue to grow and uh, touch many people's lives. Um, I also think that, um, uh, magic will finally, I think some of the things we're talking about collectability, while I did say that was missing, I think wizards is going to do things that will, uh, touch that more. And um, I, we are seeing that possibly with the, the 25th anniversary set, where I can almost guarantee that they're going to do something like the collector's edition, uh, international edition set they did back in the day in 94. Uh, something cool like that. Touch some of the old school cards, but not make them printed so uh, they are affecting the game as the reserve list. So they're more collectible. So yeah, I think, I think Wizards is going to, Hasbro, they're going to do the right thing and uh, really go back to the roots of Magic.
0: And last, Daniel, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience, like where they can find Vintage Magic online or on social media?
1: Yeah, um, you know, uh, you know. Again, if you uh, if you guys are interested in checking out um, some really great um, uh, historical items or cards for your old school deck, um, you know, if you're interested in Power Nine, Dual Lands, uh, any key cards, just find me at vintagemagic.com. Um, we also have a really great uh, article series by Steve Menendian. He's actually one of the top. Vintage players in the world and old school um, connoisseurs. He's written a 12 article series uh, we've commissioned him to do. Uh, I believe the 12th one would, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, should already be up already. So there's a total of 12. And uh, I, seriously, guys, I think uh, if you have never, ever tried old school, uh, I'd love to play a game with you guys. In fact, there's um, Facebook groups uh, for this group called the Skype. Facebook group. And so if you ever contact me, just go to vintagemagic.com, contact us and talk to me about that Skype group. I can send you the link and we can play some magic wherever you are in the world. I think that's incredible. And uh, that might be a game changer for even vintage or legacy. I mean, finding someone to play on demand anytime, anywhere around the world, um, it is a little bit tricky in the sense of the rules because you have to be honesty check system, but everybody's honest, you know, for the most part, and we all have a lot of fun.
0: That is awesome, Daniel. Well, I'm going to have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org to vintagemagic.com. So you're going to be able to find out what Daniel does and like really get a look at all of these amazing cards and everything like that. Um, And I really like the idea of that uh, Skype Facebook group. I think that's a lot of fun. Well, Daniel, I just wanted to thank you and on behalf of the listening audience as well as the greater Magic community, you have been a steward of the game. You have really been the one here to preserve the artifacts of the history of Magic the Gathering and not just the cards themselves, making sure they're graded, that they're properly preserved, carefully encased and mint condition. You're also really the one tracking down all of this old school art, all of this artist sketches and artist proofs and things like that. These things could be lost to time they could just be lost. Who knows? They could be lost to water damage, fire damage, just completely lost. Or someone who doesn't have a connection to the game be like, I don't know what this piece of garbage is and just recycle it, right? I've spoken to Mike Lineman, Vorthos Mike. He's an art specialist. And he also talks about this danger of losing our history. And I really just get the sense of the passion that you have because you're really like this firm protectorate of our community. And, you know, what would happen if tomorrow all the black lotuses disappeared? What happens if all of these like really old school cars like drop of honey? What if all of these cars just disappeared all of a sudden? We just lost them? No matter how many new sets of like Kaladesh or Hour of Devastation or Ixalon we're going to print, we're never going to get back those cards. So, thank you so much because what you're doing is preserving this love and this passion that we have from our youth when we were kids, when we were in college, when we were in high school, when we walked down the halls and saw our friends playing for the first time, every single Magic player is going to have that for the rest of their lives. And because of your work, connecting people around the world. We get to have that. And then future generations, these little kids who come up to you and want to take selfies, they're going to have to experience that as well. So, thank you.
1: Thank you, Sam. Thank you to everybody listening out there. Um, it's been my honor uh, and privilege to just share with you just a piece of my, uh, my past and hopefully um, connect with you guys in, in something I said. And, um, and I do hope to see you guys at a Grand Prix or a local LGS It really is the greatest honor in my life to be a part of something much greater than myself. I'm not. I'm really nothing special. If you think about it, I'm just someone who really appreciates something that's already been, you know, it's it's already out there. You know, we all love. We always love. uh, We all love magic. I just really want to go back to what I said earlier about love, and and I my hope is that we all bond together as community members and grow together and just help each other. Um, it's going to be um, one of the most important things as magic and time tests, tests our history. Can we love each other and be a community and fight together rather than hurt each other and um, and bring negativity? Well, I'm going to choose to be positive and uh, help the community. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of you guys out there wanting the same. So thanks again for listening, guys. <laughs>
0: Super special thanks to my guest Daniel Chang for sharing his stories with us. Follow Vintage Magic on Twitter at VintageMTG. Vintage Magic is on Facebook.com slash VintageMTG as well. You can support Vintage Magic on Patreon.com slash Vintage Magic for super cool deals on rare MTG collectibles. And watch Daniel's vlogs on YouTube, just search for Vintage Magic. I'll have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I want to thank all of my Patreon supporters Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Jonathan, Corey, Chad, James E, Logan, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, Geraint, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, and Praskovi. Thank you all so much for your generous support of the show, and listeners, if you'd like to get special gifts from my interviews, become a supporter at patreon.com slash Magic. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome, and I hope you've had the chance to listen to past episodes in Seasons 1 and 2. Season 3 is pretty awesome, and there's a lot of amazing guests that are going to be on the show. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeping it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. And now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link: cardkingdom.com/ktm. Especially with the new Unstable set being released, you're gonna want to buy all of those Borderless Full Art lands by John Avon. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic: The Gathering community with the world. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called PlayMTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash playmtg. Special thanks to Dev for the shout-out on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. Follow the channel on Twitter at play underscore MTG. It's also on Facebook at facebook.com slash play MTG, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at KitchenTableMagic.org. If you're new to the show, there's plenty of past episodes to listen to, and please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up on the next episode of Kitchen Table
2: Magic. So, Paul Sly is um, one of my best and oldest friends. Certainly a great magic player in his own right. Paul universally built decks that are closest to Drago. His decks would have usually eight counter spells, four of them being mana drains.
0: So that's so fascinating because whenever I did an internet search for the Paul Sly deck, I would see a bunch of red cards. Now, Jay, am I crazy here or can you help me out with that?
2: No, you're not crazy at all. Um, so... Paul and I tests together. The deck that I was playing beat his constantly and badly. I had to go off to see my mother in Detroit. I wasn't gonna be in town, so I literally handed him my deck, my cards, and of course he'd been playing the other side of it. He then proceeded to win the tournament, the early qualifier relatively easily with a deck that no one on the Pro Tour scene had ever seen anything like. The tournament organizers posted the winning decks. David Doust was the tournament organizer at the time. He took the decks and he published an article saying Paul Sly's um, red deck people just abbreviated that to the slide deck. Somehow,
0: your deck creation and your innovation for deck building ended up in
2: Paul's hands. He won with it, and then everyone just kind of named it after him. It was the standard to name decks after people. You know, you'd give it their name. I mean, you know, Brian Weissman's deck was the Weissman deck, you know, initially. So it made sense that he did that. He <laughs> didn't know the story behind it. I mean, Paul did play the deck. I'm talking
0: to legendary player Jay Schneider, the creator of the first Burn Deck, Red Deck wins, and friend of Paul Sly, whom the deck was named after, Paul Sly Red. As we heard Jay explain, it was Jay's red creation that was finally tuned to Wreck Paul, a quintessential blue player. And as the story goes, Jay handed the red deck to Paul, who goes on to win a major tournament with it, and the rest is history. Even I was confused at first, who was the The grandfather of Red Deck Winds, and I attempted to reach out to Paul Sly. After talking to Randy Bueller and Brian David Marshall, I was quickly put on the correct path and was able to get in touch with Jay Schneider. I'm not sure if the community knows this, but Jay also created the concept of the Mana Curve, which is an incredibly important theoretical concept. Join me and the legendary Jay Schneider as we talk about Red Deck wins, the Mana Curve, his role in developing the hugely successful Duels of the Planeswalkers, and more, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.